You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 413, A Closer Look at the Corinthians. So a few episodes ago, we we looked at the Romans. We spent time in the letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. I think we did a couple of episodes on that. And what I'm just kind of wanting to do is highlight uh, Paul's major works. And, And Romans, I think, would be considered by most scholars to be Paul's preeminent work. And you know he's got so many great letters, but I think First and Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, just for the volume alone, the two letters, their long letters, and the amount of material that they can't contain would have to be considered uh, very, very important as well, and and very influential in the the history of the church and in the life of the church today because of the guidance they still give us. But before we get too far into it, I wanted to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Peter and Paul and Acts. Peter and Paul and Acts takes a very uh, close look, as we're doing with Corinthians, we, we do it in, in, in Peter and Paul and Acts, we do it with the book of Acts of the Apostles. It's actually a guidebook, a handbook. We talk uh, quite a bit about Paul's ministry in Corinth, as long, uh, in Corinth along with the other places that he ministered as well. Um, it's a very helpful book. We give you the historical background uh, of both the Gospel of Luke and the book of the Acts of the Apostles because they're written by the same writer. And so I encourage you to grab a copy. It's a great handbook to have as you're reading Acts. It'll really help you to understand uh, the importance and significance of apostolic ministry, especially Peter and Paul's, because they really did lay the foundation for um, what we experience today, even in Christianity. They broke barriers and and, and laid things in place that, that we still are benefiting from. So Peter and Paul and Acts, get you a copy. I know you'll love it. Okay, so a closer look at the Corinthians. Let, let me give you just a little bit of background on, uh, on this church. As, as we said in Acts, Paul talks about, it's Acts 18 actually, where it talks about Paul planting the church in Corinth. And it was only one other church that he spent more time, and that was actually in Ephesus. Um, he spent quite a bit of time, I want to say maybe three years or more in Ephesus, and probably a year and a half or two years he spent in Corinth. So he wasn't just planting a church, founding a church, uh, releasing it to some other leaders and taking off. He was actually there for a long period of time, ministering, pastoring, establishing leaders, um, you know, really serving the people of Corinth. He wasn't just a hit-and-run kind of guy. Um, what Acts shows us is whenever Paul could, he would actually put roots down and stay in the cities for, for some time. Uh, that didn't always work out because of persecution. Uh, there were times like in Thessalonica or in Philippians uh, or Philippi, Thessalonica or Philippi, um, where we find out that the persecution forced Paul to flee. And um, so this is really, really important 
to, to know that that wasn't Paul's pattern. It wasn't his plan. His goal was to put some roots down to, to be there long enough to, to really get the church established and thriving before he would move on to other areas. But then he would come back. Uh, he made several visits to Corinth and, and spending time with them. And so this was a group of people that, um, that he spent a lot of time with. Um, as we said, you know, when you put all his visits together, he was probably there for, uh, you know, maybe two years or more. Um, now, Corinth itself was a very significant city in Greece. A large metropolitan city had a population of uh, estimates range anywhere from half a million to 700,000 people and is, uh, is so prevalent within the Roman Empire, a large percentage of that population were slaves, maybe a half or even as two many as two-thirds are some of the estimates that you'll, you'll find. But this was a, a, a large city, a port city, uh, very, very significant because the, that was where uh, goods were imported and exported from. Uh, the city had their own games. They had the Corinthian games. Now, the Corinthian games, when you look at uh, Greek history, they're um, second really only to the uh, games that you had in the, the Olympic games. The Corinthian games was a very, very popular, very, very important set of games. And so, uh, you know, Corinth was a, was a very notable city. Uh, they had an outdoor amphitheater that seated 20,000 people. That's a lot of people when you think about it. When modern modern stadiums, you know, may only hold 30 to 40, you're, you're talking with, with that technology, they're making an auditorium that would hold 20,000 people at that time. They had an indoor theater, an indoor auditorium that was set up for theater that held 3,000 people. So, um, you know, really an amazing city, very sophisticated, very modern for their times. Uh, they had temples, shrines, altars throughout the city, which was very, very normal uh, of the Greek cities at that time. All the Greek cities had many different temples because they had many different gods. Uh, when Paul came into a city, he wasn't just uh, you know, bringing uh, the message of Jesus to people who, who didn't believe in God. He was bringing the message of Jesus to people who believed in a multiplicity of gods. These people had so many different gods. But what's interesting, one of the other interesting things about Corinth is at the temple of Aphrodite, they had a number of sacred prostitutes. Now, the numbers vary. Um, you know, some, some scholars have estimated the, the and this is even from ancient writings, that uh, there may have been as many as a thousand prostitutes at this temple. Uh, modern scholarship thinks it might not, probably isn't that many, but still, the temple of Aphrodite mixed uh, religion, occultism, and sex, and so there were there were prostitutes, male and female prostitutes, depending on what your flavor was, um, what you wanted, and 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 there was this mixture. So this was part of the worship experience, and. And uh, the Temple of Aphrodite is, is best known for this, but they were by, by, by no means the only one that, that, that mixed these things together. So it was a, a really interesting uh, situation in which Paul found himself, obviously in Corinth, but it was like this in so many of the other cities as well. And then when you add to the fact that it was a seaport city, um, you know, you can imagine every vice known to mankind was found here. And... But against this backdrop, 
planting a church here was exactly what needed to happen. Um, where, 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 the, where the, you know, things seem the darkest, that's really where the gospel shines the brightest. And and there really was a move of God in Corinth. We, we, we read about that in Acts 18. We see Paul coming in and many, many people responding. As Paul often did, he started in the synagogue uh, with people who were God-fearers and Jews who, who might be interested in seeing the the knowing the Messiah, Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies. But we see many people come to faith in that environment. And then eventually, as often happened, Paul was uh, asked to leave the synagogue. He was kicked out of the synagogue and he, um, you know, set up church in, in, in someone's home. And so the church continued to grow and thrive. And uh, we find that there was a period of time there. Paul was a businessman in the city. He was a, a tent maker, a leather worker by trade. And um, for, for, for the first part of his ministry in Corinth, he's serving, uh, working full time to, to provide for his needs and those of his team. And then uh, eventually an offering came from the Philippian church. And, and this offering was enough to allow him to focus on full time ministry for some time. So that gives you a little bit of the backdrop of the church and the foundation of the church. And what we see in, in Corinth, in, in the Corinthian letters, is because of the things that Paul's dealing with, we get some great insight about what a New Testament church looked like. Um, you know, really, even from a, a cursory reading of Corinthians, you get the idea that this church was really messed up. And I don't really subscribe to that theory. They were just like the rest of us. They were trying to figure things out. And whereas today, depending on where you live in America or other parts of the world, um, you, know, you know, you might be coming to faith and have some background of Judeo-Christian ethics. In the first century, they had none of that. Um, the idea of separating um, uh, morality and, 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 and uh this idea of morality and religion going together really didn't even make sense. I mean, remember these were people who were used to uh, partaking in, 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 and I'm using you know air quotes here, sacred prostitutes in their their worship of their God. So, so it took some time to to really sort things out. So, so what we see in this letter, and we know that when Paul uh, interacted with the Corinthians, we know that he made several visits, as we've said. And, and from what we, we, we can discern, it sounds like he wrote them four letters instead of the two that we have preserved. He mentions these other letters, um, but the only, only two that we have are what we know as First and Second Corinthians. And he's, he's writing these letters to deal with specific things. Now, I want to jump into the first letter and just kind of talk about um, really the, the things that Paul deals with. And you'll, you'll find that the problems that he's dealing with are, are really universal to mankind. I mean, they're the kind of things that people have dealt with throughout history. So when we talk about the Corinthian church being screwed up, I just don't really think that's fair. I think it's just uh, Paul was able to address these things. And we can be thankful that if they were screwed up, God bless them because we've got these two long detailed letters from the Apostle Paul that helped set the stage for really our, our, our doctrine and practice even today, and I'm recording this in 2023. So we can be very thankful for whatever problems they had, but Paul is writing 
to to help them and to get some of these things sorted out. So the the first reason that he wrote uh, 1 Corinthians was to deal with specific problems that he had heard about. In other words, in talking to people who had been at the church, uh, people who had come to visit him, I think he was in, probably in Ephesus when he was writing this letter, uh, people who had written to him, uh, people who had come to visit and said, man, you're not going to believe what's going on in Corinth. Uh, you're not going to believe the problems they're having in the Corinthian church. And talking to other Christian leaders, he finds out what some of these problems are, and he writes to deal with these problems. And the first one he writes about is divisions, divisions within the church. And actually spends several chapters talking about how detrimental division can be in the church. Now, as I said, this is one of those things that we face even today. I was, uh, a few months ago, I was in another country preaching, and, and in this particular country, I noticed that the church, and I was preaching in, in some really big churches in, in one of the, the, the big cities of the, the, the country, is actually the capital, and, and, and these were some very influential churches in the city, and I was, I was asking why the church culture there did not have small groups. Why don't we have small groups? Why don't you guys have small groups to help facilitate growth and pastoral care and, and all the other great things? And, you know, I got several different answers, but one of the pastors finally was very honest with me. He said, well, we've tried it before, and sometimes our leaders will get a good group going, and then they'll break off and start their only church or start, start their own church. And I was I appreciated his candor, but I thought how sad that we can't even do what what's really becoming very successful and throughout you know most parts of the world the, the small group system the cell system whatever you want to call it. Um, so what they do is they just have multiple meetings throughout the week, so there's not the great sense of community. And there's some, but you don't see it there like you see it in other places. And I just thought this was fascinating because this this fear of division, this fear of division. And, and Paul says, um, this is in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And then he says, for some members of Chloe's household, so again, we're talking about he's hearing things. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others, I am a follower of Apollos. He was another great leader in the church. Or I follow Peter, one of the original 12. Or, this is the spiritual group, I just follow Jesus. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized into the name of Paul? And so this is really, really interesting when you see what's going on in this church. Some of them are uh, uh, aligning themselves with one leader. Some are aligning themselves with another leader. And then the other group's like, well, I don't really need any leaders. I've just got Jesus. And that's a dangerous mindset as well. So, so Paul spends, really, he goes through chapter 4 um, talking about uh, different leaders and their roles and the fact that you know, some plant, some, well, some lay a foundation, others build, some plant, others water, 
you know, there's different, he uses basically two different analogies. He uses the analogy of somebody building a house. You lay a foundation, you raise the walls up. This person does this, this person does that, but they're all building the same house. And then he talks about a garden. Um, you know, some people plant the seeds, some people water the seeds. Some people even get to be the ones that pull the fruit from the plant. They get to do the harvesting, but it's all part of the process. So, so divisions, Paul deals with that. It's really important that even today we understand the division is so detrimental to, to, to the body of Christ. And, and we've seen it. I mean, I live in the southern part of the United States. It used to be the way churches got planted was because there was a church split. You know, somebody, one group would get mad at another group and they'd just break off and go plant their own church. Um, you know, just, just amazing. And, you know, that, that kind of thing still happens. You know, this, this clique gets mad at this clique, so we'll just go start our own thing. And, you know, can God use that? Well, ultimately, God can use anything, but that's not healthy. Um, Paul says we should we should attempt as much as possible to live in harmony. Uh, let there be no divisions in the church, but be a one mind, he says. It doesn't mean we have to agree on everything, but we can still be of one mind about what's important, you know, in, in our mission and following Jesus. So that's the, the first thing that Paul talks about. And in, in this... Um, he, and like I said, with the first four chapters, he talks about divisions. But in the middle of that, in, in chapter two, he's got a whole chapter where he talks about spiritual wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And this is such a great chapter. If you haven't read 1 Corinthians 2 in a while, flip your Bible open. It'll take you about five minutes, if that. Such a great chapter on, on the, the contrast between spiritual wisdom and worldly wisdom. Um, just a couple of verses. Listen to what he says. Um, he says, He says, I came to you in weakness, this is verse 3, uh, timid and trembling, and my message and preaching were very plain. Rather than using very clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Remember, he, this is a Greek city. These people are used to great rhetoric. They're used to great Greek philosophers and, and great arguments. And, 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 you know, Greece is known for, for, for their philosophy. I mean, we still study it today. But Paul said, I came and I shared a very simple message based on the power of God. And he goes on to talk about um, uh, this. He says, uh, to us... God has, well, listen to what he says in this verse 7. He says, the wisdom we speak is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. So this mystery, that was one of the things the Greeks were fascinated about, this mysterios, the Greek word. The, they wanted the mysteries. They wanted the secrets of knowledge. And Paul says, well, that's what God has revealed, but he's revealed it through His Spirit, the kind of things that 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 that, that you guys, uh, before you were Christians, were seeking after, that's really not the secret of God. That's 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 a false teaching. It's a false thing. He says God revealed uh, these things to us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches out uh, everything and, and knows the depths of God. Um, and He says, but people. This is at the end of chapter two. He says, but people who aren't spiritual 
can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. And then at the very end, he says, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? For we, but we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Now, this would have been fascinating to, to, to the Corinthians because they were captivated by knowledge. It was all about knowledge. It was all about learning the mysteries. It was all about, you know, having the hearing that next that that greatest philosopher, um, or hearing the next new thing we find in Athens. They were always wanting to hear this new teaching, and and so Paul's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is revealing these things to God's people, but for those who aren't spiritual, for those who don't know Christ, they can't even understand it. And you know that's a a great thing for us to remember because you've probably got family members or friends that aren't believers and maybe you felt, man, I really wish I could just say something that would get them to turn to Jesus. Well, listen, it's all its all about the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's not you having the perfect argument or saying the right thing that's going to just turn their heart immediately to Jesus. Um, sure, we plant seeds. Sure, we water. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit that, that gives them revelation and brings them to salvation. But for those of us that are believers... Understand the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you the mysteries of God. You know, Jesus said that for, for everybody else, they get it in parables. But for you, it's been granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. That's in Mark 4 and Acts 3, or Matthew 13, same verse. And here he says, we understand these things. We have the mind of Christ. So, so God wants to reveal spiritual things to us. Are we willing to, to let him do that? Now, I'm going to stop here and we'll, we'll jump back in. We've just started, just getting started here in 1 Corinthians, but we'll spend a few episodes going through Corinthians and looking at some really important things that will um, hopefully help you, help us, and help us as, as a church to continue to be the body that God has called us to be so that we can be the light in the world that, uh, that we need to be and uh, help bring people to Jesus. Well, I'd love to hear from you. If you've got any thoughts on what we talked about today, uh, the background and then the divisions and then even the the, the spiritual versus worldly wisdom, um, love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com, leave a question or comment in the comment section for today's post. And uh, while you're there, make sure you sign up to get my free newsletter so that we can stay in touch. Well, friends, thanks for being with me. And we will see you next week on Leading and Learning.